We're going to continue looking at what it means to be a follower or disciple of Jesus. We've been, we've been looking at this uh, through the scriptures the last three, four weeks. And why is this important? And in fact, I, I challenge you, if you've been in church for any length of time, these are some of these messages that if you're not careful, you tend to just check out. Because it's one of those been there, done that, tell me something I haven't heard since VBS type of thing. And yet, the flip side to what has been happening the last three, four weeks together is that I've had some wonderful conversations with long-term church attenders who have been really challenged. Really challenged. Like, last week I made a comment that, that, you know, what we're doing is we're trying to understand what it means when I say I'm a follower, when I say follower, what it means when I'm a follower of Jesus and not just I'm a Christian, right? And, and they should be synonymous, and yet to say I'm a follower of Jesus, for some reason may resonate, may actually create a bit more oomph than just a kind of a blanket say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. And, and kind of this, for some, a very nebulous, broad term with a very broad definition. And over the last three, four weeks together, as, as we've been looking at what the Bible says about following Jesus, I don't know about you, but for me, man, it's been, it's been kind of challenging. It's been kind of challenging. You know, even at the core, some of the things that, that we pick up as believers and take for granted or some of the routines that we slide into over the years of, of attending church and reading scriptures, sometimes without even knowing it, we can become numb. We can become complacent. We can become apathetic. We can, you know, go through the motions even of singing, you know, and then go through the motions of quiet time and go through the motions of this and the motions of serving and the motions of that. And, and when we take the time to go, okay, wait, is this what it means to follow Jesus? Whew. For some of us, it's just been not just challenging, but a bit of a, a wonderful wake-up call. Hey, 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 come on now, come on now. Right, last week we looked at Revelation 2, where, where the church at Ephesus was doing church really well. In fact, Jesus affirms them, I know your deeds. You do Sunday morning at 105 East Topa Topa really well. Right? You, you serve, you're calling out false teachers, but what did Jesus say? But I have this against you. You left your first love. And if we're not careful, we elevate the doing of church and the doing of our faith over the loving. And, and at the core today, my heart is for us to come back to, you know what? If I'm a follower of Jesus, at the core, at the root of who I am, is that I'm someone who just passionately loves Him. Just loves Him. And all the doing and all the serving and all the sacrifice, it's just an outgrowth of, of love, of love. How many of you have gone out of your way because you love somebody? Nudge, nudge, elbow, elbow, right? <laughs> right? And in that moment of, and, and I'll, think, think of that event where you wanted to bless someone and to, to just express your love. But it took a lot of effort. Anyone? You had to shop. And you had to go pick it up. And then it wasn't there. And you went to go somewhere else. Anyone? Right? And, and, and you, you're just, you're not angry about it. How many of you are like excited? You're like, oh, this is going to be so good. This is going to be so good. You plan something for days, weeks, and you have all this time and money and effort and energy and anticipation. And, it, and, it's, and it's good? Right? What's motivating you? Love? Now equate that to your relationship with Jesus. When was the last time you're like, oh, it's going to be so good. It's going to be good, right? Sunday mornings, oh, I want to go Sunday morning. It's going to be so good. Church is going to be so good. Oh, I'm excited, right? Right? Versus, he better appreciate this. All this time and energy. And, and I know what he's going to say. Oh, thanks. And then he's going to go watch TV again, right? I mean, anyone? Oh, there's honesty back there, right? 
Right. So, so if we're not careful, oh, that church thing again, wake up. Oh, but we lost an hour. Get up. It's I know they're all there and half the people will be late too anyway. Get up. Oh, see that, that our desire is that on Sunday mornings, it's like, yeah, we're going, we're going. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Get to see people, get to worship, get the word. Amen. And not so much. Oh, hmm, okay. Now, there are times when you're going to have to just uh, through it. Amen. Might have been this morning. Nudge, 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 right? Oh, might have been this morning. I get that. So, so there are times when it's not all feel good. We get that. But at, a, at its core, we're hoping, I'm hoping that this series is reigniting your love for Jesus. As challenging and as piercing as it is. Because you know what I love about Jesus? If you actually look at the scriptures, he doesn't candy coat things and he doesn't try to bait and switch you. He doesn't try to sell you on how good life's going to be and just come and you're going to get everything you want and everything you ever hope for and just give me your Santa list and here you, you know, he doesn't do that. In fact, if you read it, he's almost like trying to scare people away. When he talks about the cost of commitment and discipleship. And I love that about him because he says it on the front end and, 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 Today, hopefully by the end, if you've been like, whoa, that's a big front end commitment. I don't know if I could ever do that. That's that's big. That's beyond me. If you're there, that's a good place to be. And by the end of today, I'm hoping you you'll embrace that and go, ah, that's not a problem. And you'll see why. And you'll see why. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you don't candy coat things. You don't bait and switch us. You don't promise us the moon. What you do say is, follow me into a relationship. And that's our desire, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've been teaching us these last several Sundays together. What it is to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus. And Lord, the, the weightiness. Of that commitment, Lord, may, may you speak profoundly to us this morning that it's really rooted in love. Really rooted in loving you passionately and, and wholeheartedly. So, so, Lord, speak truth through your scriptures now as only you can do the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. All right, in your notes there, I did a quick review. If you uh, open up to Mark chapter 8, we launched off there. And I want to do this because I really do want to present a picture to you of where we've been and you kind of go, whoa, wow, okay. So Jesus, how do, we, how do we move forward with you? And this is really important because if we have been challenged at, well, I always thought, I always thought, that's not a bad thing. Now, it can be challenging when, when you're like, oh, really? Really? That's, okay, I get that. But sometimes, in our Christian walk, if, if we're just a little bit off or we, we picked up something that doesn't really jive, we can really feel kind of out of kilter. And, and I experienced this yesterday at a track meet. Uh, my youngest daughter's running for Nordoff, so she had a track meet at Ventura Invitational. And so the coach on Friday night had sent out an order of events. And so we found out where she was. And it's fairly early in the morning so we get there and you know that if you've been to a track meet you know you check in at certain times before your event and so he had sent out an order of events and based on that order of events she kept going to the clerk of the course to try to check in and now it's too early now it's too early and it was just getting kind of weird because the event before hers was already happening and I'm, I'm getting kind of nervous I'm like okay this is kind of weird trying to help her out she went there like four times right I four times and, and it was just like, no, they say it's not time. They say it's not time. And, I, and I'm finally like, something's wrong here. And I'm listening to the, the announcement. And what had happened was between the time the coach sent out his order of events, they changed it. So Saturday morning, they're going off a different order of events than what I'm thinking and what her team is thinking. And until that got straightened out, there was unease. There was anxiety, there was uncertainty, there was just this general unsettledness because something just wasn't right. And then she finally went there and looked at the clerk of the course, who's the authority, 
gets to the authoritative list and go, oh, they changed it. So when the clerk's list doesn't match our list, whose list wins? The clerk's. When our list about following Jesus doesn't match God's list about following Jesus, whose list wins? It should, right? We say that. God's! Oh, really? That's what I thought. Oh, no. You want that too? Oh, gosh, really? See, that's when it gets kind of tough. We, we, we celebrate that, and it is true, right? Because you remember... When you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you enter into a covenant. Everyone say covenant, right? There's two types of covenant in the Bible. One is a covenant called sunthaki. Everyone say sunthaki. If you remember, sunthaki is a covenant between equals. It's a treaty. We negotiate it. That's sunthaki, okay? The covenant between us and Jesus, us and God, is called diatheki. Everyone say diatheki. Diatheki is a covenant, a relationship of greater to lesser. Where the greater sets the terms and the lesser can only agree or disagree. No negotiation. It's like king, vassal, king, servant, right? So when we enter into a covenant with the new covenant, covenant with Jesus, we enter into a diatheki covenant. Greater to lesser. Just that teaching that we went through last year, year before, was kind of like, oh, okay, thank you. Because if you don't get that right, and there's a lot of teaching in the church that, hey, come to Jesus and you're in a soon-thakey. Come to Jesus and he's your best friend, he's your buddy, you know, give him your list. And so we kind of adopt this following of Jesus on a soon-thakey. And then that undermines his authority. And undermine scripture. When we come to scripture, what happens when we read a, a verse that we don't like? Diatheki or suntheki? Mm, Jesus, let's negotiate this. Now you said to forgive others as you forgave me. Let's negotiate that one. Because I forgave so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. But this person. That person right there. Yeah, right there. I don't know about that one. So let's negotiate. How about three out of four? Three out of four good, Jesus? You see how this happens? This is what happens in our walk. Now, what can happen, though, is because when we're negotiating, we get three out of four, right? And so we make some progress. Pretty good. So we do make some progress, and we feel good about ourselves, and we make progress. But that fourth one, that fourth one that just seems beyond us, if we slide into Sunthaki, then we, we stall. That's the reason some of us stall in our transformation. Because we, wanna, we get to the certain point, and boy, that's a tough thing. Scott really did you 50 years ago, and you're still harboring that, Ernie. Right? Right? You might even take that to your grave. Because it's just too big. Right? And so... Oh, is it diatheki or suntheki at that point? When something seems bigger than you, beyond your capacity, beyond your flesh. Well, when you continue in diatheki, despite your fleshly limitations, what happens? Supernatural growth. When you forgive him out of obedience and faith in the power of the Holy Spirit, you change. (laughs) Thank you. So, So in our lives, we enter into covenant, it's a diatheki. It's a love diatheki. Okay? It's not this lorded over, da, 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 da. It's, it's a diatheki based on his love, agape, self-sacrificial love. So even in your life today, think real quick. What areas in your life are you being challenged in? What areas in your life you're kind of like, oh, Jesus, let's talk, let's talk like soon-thinky together about this. It's like, nope. Whose list? Right? Because it's when we step out that God moves within us. Right? Anyone ever do anything, say anything, react in such a way that in retrospect, you're like, who was that? Wasn't me. Right? Anybody ever, your spouse or your kid or your parent ever do something that was out of character in a good way? You're like, who? What, what got into you? Right? Jesus. 
That's the whole point. That's the whole point. And so in Mark 8, right, we looked at this. We saw that Jesus, and I just kind of summarized these weeks. Jesus is an all-in decision. Jesus is an all-in decision. Mark 8, 34 and 35. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Right? We talked about the disciple, the rabbi-discipleship relationship and how the early disciples would have completely understood this. Right? Remember the prayer? May I be covered in the dust of my rabbi? Right? Followers, Talmud, were supposed to follow their rabbi so closely that the dust would be kicked up onto the disciples. We're supposed to follow Jesus so closely, not just to learn, but to be like him. Right? So we saw that. And then turn to uh, Matthew 11. Go back one book. Matthew 11:28. Matthew eleven twenty eight. And as you're turning there, I just want to give a word of encouragement, kind of an aside real quick. I love page turning and, and hearing all of that, but you are comfortable. If you're comfortable to use iPads or your phones for Bibles, uh, that's okay too. Just, just let you know, sometimes, you know, there's this weird stigma about, you know, the electronics and all of that. You know, you can check the ringer and, and all of that, but if you're more comfortable using the iPads and the, and the phones for for pulling out the Bible, I'd much rather you use that than nothing. Amen? Okay, so I just want to put you at ease with that. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We saw that, that Jesus expects his followers to obey his teaching, the rabbis, their body of teaching was called their yoke. Okay, there's the agricultural illustration of two animals being yoked together. But also rabbis had a yoke of scripture. And when you were going to be their disciple, you would take upon the rabbi's yoke with the expectation to learn it and do it. Okay, we saw in the Old Testament, Shema was hearing, hero Israel. In the Old Testament, hearing and doing were inseparable. Inseparable. In fact, you didn't hear something until you actually did it, right? And we talked about those of you parents at home who know your kids heard you the first, second, and third time, right? And when you say something to your kids, you expect them to hear it and do it, obey it, right? That's biblical. That's biblical. That's Shema. You're to hear and and obey. So Jesus... Followers are expected to take upon his yoke to learn, but to also do. It's inseparable. Inseparable, right? Okay. Turn to Luke 18. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Story of the rich young ruler. Following Jesus requires us to submit to his will over our traditions, opinions. Put our faith in him. Right? Story of the rich young ruler. Ask Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Remember, we went over this at length. What was the challenge here of the rich young ruler? He was speaking to Jesus from his paradigm. He was raised in the Jewish religion, so he just naturally was having a conversation with Jesus, a rabbi, about inheriting and works-oriented salvation. Jesus doesn't give him the answer he's expecting, And he is challenged, what, at the core of his tradition, at the core of his culture, at the core of his security, at the core of his independence, his identity. Okay? So, in this sense, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you have to be prepared that you might be challenged at the cultural identity, security, religious level. And, and, and launch into just following Jesus. Launch into just following Jesus. You want to know what little testimony here? I, I've shared with you before I grew up in the Roman Catholic tradition. 
Do you want to know what the scariest, one of the scariest things for me was as I was, came to be a seeker and then my wife brought me to a Christian church and Bible study? You, do you want to know what the, one of the scariest things for me, transitioning from the Roman Catholic Church into being a follower of Jesus? You, you really want to know what it is? Can I just bother? Was this? Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone. That was a biggie. Because without realizing it, it wasn't. I had grown up in the tradition of the Roman Catholic Church, and I don't, please, if you're listening, this is not disrespectful or anything like that. I had grown up in the Roman Catholic Church, and without realizing it, all the trappings of churchdom is what I was secure in. The organization. There was, a, there was an authority across the ocean. There was structure. The, the whole infrastructure is what kind of gave me my security, right? And so I was challenged to read Scripture for myself for the very first time. And then when I went to Christian churches, they just taught the Bible. That was really interesting. And then she gave me a Bible with my name in it. That freaked me out. And then I was allowed to write in it. And then in this transition from this huge infrastructure to Jesus and Scripture, I got to tell you, there, there were moments very early on that really tested if, if I was going to hang in there with Scripture alone. With Scripture alone. I love my brother dearly. And when he got married, he's three years older than me. When he got married, I was going to be the best man, right? And my brother, again, super nice guy. Great moral guy and all this, but my brother's three-year-older, has three-year-older friends and all of that, and the good guys. But the best man is supposed to plan what? The bachelor party. And I had been a believer about a year, maybe. About a year. Maybe less. Oh, man, you want to be tested. You want to be tested right off the bat. So I'm like, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And in the end, you know, I was reading scripture. I was like, I kind of, man, it, it, was, it, was, it was brutal. I was just conflicted. In the end, I told my brother. Actually, I couldn't talk to him. I wrote him a letter. And I told him why I couldn't plan or attend his bachelor party. So I didn't go. When he got married, they, they, their, their uh, tradition was they take pictures before the ceremony. So he goes to the photographer's house. And I'm like, oh, man, I haven't seen any of his boys. You know, this is going to be the first time that I'm going to see his friends. And I know they all know. Oh, man. So I walk in and I'm just like, oh. You know, you're kind of feeling probably more than them. It was more me than them, right? And I'll never forget this. I'll never forget this. My brother's best friend, my brother's best friend, he comes up, he pulls me aside, he goes, come here. Pulls me aside and he does this. He's talking, this is me. He's talking to me, he goes, hey, your brother told me why you did what you did. And I just want you to know I respect you. And he walked away. That was a moment, an all-in moment, a take-his-yoke moment where I had to put my faith in what Scripture was was teaching me and the Holy Spirit was teaching me above family relationships, above potential fallout and flack, uh, against even people being critical and criticizing me and his friends not understanding me and, and... Right? And so the, I understand when it comes to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to be tested at core levels. And here's the crazy thing. You're not tested until you're tested. <laughs> you don't even know what you're carrying in your luggage until Jesus touches it. Oh, the whole best man bachelor thing. Didn't see that coming. 
Didn't see that coming. I was a new believer. Everything was going well, getting involved in ministry. Didn't see the bachelor party issue coming. And that was probably a good thing because I, I had to be in the moment. I had to be in the moment. Okay? So the rich young ruler was challenged at that level, right? And then turn to John 21. Last week we looked at a conversation Jesus had with Peter. Jesus has reinstated Peter. Remember, he asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And in John 21, starting in verse 18, Jesus speaks to Peter about the way that Peter is going to die in the following of Jesus. Verse 18, John 21, 18. I tell you the truth. This is Jesus speaking to Peter. When you were younger... You dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he was looking at John. When Peter saw John, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Right? We saw last week, we're to care for one another within the body of Christ, right? Agape love. But we're not to compare. We're to care but not compare. And we looked scripturally that if you're a believer, you've been given gifts, spiritual gifts, to be used, right? You are God's workmanship, Ephesians. You're his poem. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He's given you natural abilities. He's given you a personality. You all have experiences, right? We called it shape, spiritual gift, heart. You have passions, desires, abilities, personality, experience, right? We're called really expected, commanded to use them in the body of Christ. So even a paradigm shift for some of us in following Jesus is this. Being part of the body of Christ is not a spectator sport. There's an expectation that we are to do our part. In fact, Ephesians 4 says the body grows as every part does its work. Right, And we, we, we celebrated Brenda who collects the communion cups after service. No difference between what she does and what I'm doing right now. We got a bunch of people, the Peter set up the fellowship hall. We have people who count the offering. We got greeters. We got audio visual. We got people going to c- continuing care, to the gardens. We have Bible studies. We got agape meals being served. So much happening. And there's a part and a responsibility for all of us. That's why we're actually even looking forward to going to our new facility for greater opportunity. For greater opportunity for us to serve together. And who benefits when we all do our part? Who? We ultimately do. The body. The body. Right? So last week, we saw that we're to compare, uh, we're to care, but not compare, right? So here's the thing. If you look at that, those bullet points on your notes, that's quite a, quite a list, isn't it? Right? That's quite a list. Scotty, can I use yours real quick? My, uh, no, I just need your list. Right? If you look at this list right here, following Jesus is an all-in decision. Jesus expects his followers to obey his teaching. Following Jesus requires us to submit to His will over our traditions and opinions, put our faith in Him. Jesus' followers are to care but not compare themselves to one another. Jesus' followers are expected to use their supernatural gifts and their unique shape. Anyone out of breath? Woo! There's probably a, a year or two worth of smaller sermons in there if we were to actually break that down. Woo! And then to actually apply this? Whoo! So how do we do that? What, where do we go from here? Because 
sometimes when you get lists like this, it can be overwhelming. And you can feel like you're so far behind the eight ball. What's the use? If you're seeing it from a works doing perspective. If you're seeing this list from a works doing, look how bad I am. Gosh, I'm a, I'm a horrible Christian because I don't do near this. If you've already gone down that route, yeah, yeah, I, I can see. Take this the right way. I can see this. I can see. Well, okay, I'll wait for the next series because this one just blew me out of the water. When's the good stuff come? I can see that. And a lot of us feel that way. Less than. Never enough. Whoa, what? Oh, it's all I can do to just get here. So how do we, how do we bridge that? How do we turn following Jesus into that joy, into that abundant life that he, say, he said he came to give? How does, how does being a follower and disciple of Jesus manifest itself with, ooh, yes! How, how, do, how do we transition that? We have to go all the way back to love and grace. That's where we're going to end today. Turn to Luke. In your note there, it's Luke 7. Luke 7. Verse 36. It's a story Jesus tells. And I think it's really, honestly, guys, by the, by the end of today, I hope you just kind of take a deep breath and, and are able to rest in His grace and love this morning. Luke seven thirty six. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. It was an unusual for religious leaders, in this case a Pharisee, to invite traveling or visiting rabbis into their home. could even have been after Sabbath synagogue, right? And it wasn't also uncommon in this uh, culture and time where the townsfolk, the common folk, were allowed to come as well. They would stand around the walls and observe and listen in on the conversation. It was a bit of a, an attraction and entertainment. Kind of a, you know, hey, so-and-so's over at so-and-so's house. Let's go listen in. That, this is cool, right? So, so Jesus comes to this Pharisee's home. They're, they're reclining around the table. When they were reclining, their, their, their head, they would rest on an arm and their head and everything would be towards the table and their feet would be going back towards the walls. Okay? So that's the setting in a Pharisee's house. Remember, this is a Pharisee's house. Okay? Into this setting, into this meal, right? Verse 37. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town, right? Many believe she may have been a prostitute. Many believe that uh, she would have been well known to the townsfolk. Okay? She had the rep. She had that rep. When she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. The rain picture where it says wet his feet, the word picture, that means rain. So she was literally raining down tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. Culturally, this was a huge deal. If a woman in this culture let her hair down, that was actually grounds for divorce. Yeah, it was a huge deal culturally for a woman to let her hair down. Only certain types of women let their hair down in public. So this was a big deal what she did, okay? Kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So the Pharisee, right? 
doesn't quite get who Jesus is. He may have heard the reputation, may have known he's got a following, but he's like, if this man were a prophet, right? So he's already casting judgment on this woman, even casting judgment on Jesus. Okay? Verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. One denarii was like one day's wage. Put it in perspective. So one guy owed him like a month and a half of wages. Another guy owed him almost two years. Okay, that's the comparison. Neither of them, verse 42, neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Here's the point. She was not earning salvation by what she did. Very important. The point of the story is what she did was an outflow of her forgiven sins. She loved much because she had already been forgiven much. It was from the inside out. It was from the inside out. And just looking at what she did, she was raining down tears. She let down her hair. She poured perfume. She was hugging and kissing his feet. You know what that's a word picture of? Freedom. Just absolute freedom that I don't care what anyone in this room thinks about me or what I'm doing right now. And there's so many of us as believers in Jesus, we just want that freedom. We just want freedom. Freedom to put our hands up in worship. Freedom to speak the truth. Maybe freedom to share the gospel freely, naturally. When do we get that freedom? Where does that come from? Is it just like, okay, get hyped, get hyped, get hyped. Is it a flesh Motivated thing, or you come to the pastor and we yell and scream and run around the block five times, and then we're ready to go be free. No, because if it becomes that way, you know what happens? If I hype you up every Sunday, you come to get hyped up every Sunday. That's the challenge of youth ministry. When I was in youth ministry and we did it so well with a band and games and, and, and lights and all this, you know what we were inadvertently teaching youth? That Christianity is like Disneyland. And they can come every Sunday, every Wednesday to youth group because we do it so well and we don't even know we're communicating the wrong thing. Come to get snacks. Come to get hype. Come to get games. Come to this. Come for everything but Jesus. And that's what we've got to guard against even on Sundays. Even when we go to the well. It's not about the facility. It's a beautiful facility. It is going to be top notch. But it is not the source of who we are. Amen? It can never be. The minute that place becomes an idol, shut it down. The minute the well becomes an idol and becomes why we do what we do, we just went off the cliff. Because then every Sunday, we got to keep hyping people to keep coming to the well. And we got to go out throw. We've got to put flyers out. And then we need the blimp. And then we need searchlights on Wednesday night. And free pizza. Because we've got to keep getting them to come to the well so they can be hyped up for Jesus. Right? I mean, is that what we're about? No. No, 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 no. This woman of ill repute didn't care what anyone thought about her. She wasn't trying to impress everyone. She wasn't trying to earn her way to salvation. She was just overwhelmed with the grace and mercy and love of God that her sins were forgiven, that she just could not help but express herself. That is following Jesus. 
that? It's just that. But what about serving? And what about giving? And I believe if you will fall passionately in love with Jesus at this church, all of that will take care of itself. It all follows. Our number one heart here, just so you know, is that you would passionately love Jesus. And if you passionately love Jesus, where you serve, what you give, when you share your faith, it will happen as a byproduct in His time. As we shepherd you in His time. We get that. There's a phrase around here. We're not in a rush. We're not in a rush. Why? Because you can't rush God. Everybody in here, believe it or not. You know what my responsibility and our responsibility as shepherds here is to shepherd... uh, umpteen of you (laughs) the easier thing to do is to create an assembly line and we're going to create programs and structure and we're just going to run you through the assembly line and at the end of the assembly line you're just i've been in churches like that and outwardly they're very successful because a whole lot of people go through the assembly lines and we feel really good spiritually not so much Spiritually, years down the road, most of them are where they were when they started the assembly line. Here, we just want you to love Jesus. He who is forgiven much, loves much. You know what what I would love the well to be known as? A bunch of people who love Jesus because they've been forgiven much. If people go there and go, hey man, what makes you guys tick? Well, let me tell you. Jesus has forgiven me much. And I just love much. That's the heart of the story. That's, that's, that's what it is. So if you've been kind of getting kind of riled up even through these last four messages, I apologize in the sense that it wasn't meant to rile you up and make you feel less than. Now, if there's conviction of things, then that's you deal with that with God. But today I really felt like it was necessary for us to come back and go, why are we doing this? Especially in light of where we're going to move to, because that, that's, a, that's a flesh trap on grand. And what I mean by that is that pushes a lot of right buttons for us to get consumed with consumerism and externals and, hey, look at us. I just would love for us together to be the church of the much forgiven who love much as a result. Let's just do that. Can we just do that together? Imperfectly? We're not perfect. I mean, I said, it's funny, seven years ago I said, I'm not perfect. And a week later I had to publicly apologize to his son because I made a joke. And I thought I hurt his feelings. So the next, like the second Sunday, we were to second Saturday night, I had to apologize. Go figure, right? We're not perfect. Doesn't mean we don't we don't do our best. But at the core, guys, to follow Jesus is simply to recognize that you have been forgiven much and you just love much. Just love much. Just love much. Read this story again. Who do you identify with? Simon? Or maybe the woman. And here's my encouragement. Please take this right way because I have to live with this too. Sometimes when we first come to the Lord, we're very much like the woman. We get it. We know we were not a believer. But over time, over time, guys, we can slide into being a little more like Simon. See, Jesus came into his house and Simon didn't even extend to him the common courtesies of the day. How many of us in our walk with Jesus can become kind of complacent and, oh yeah, hey, what's up, Jesus? We can slide there, guys. You've got to be very careful. And this is tough even for, for, for people who have been, maybe more tough for people who have been in the church and even sometimes more tough for pastor's kids and elder kids. And long-time church, because we're good. And we're not as bad as that crew over there. 
And so this, this sense of desperation that the sinful woman brings to the story, do you really resonate that once you were lost but now you're found? Do you really resonate that even if you, with just whatever, however you value your sins, wherever on the sin spectrum you lay, that your sin still required that? See, it wasn't, in the story, he wasn't quantifying sin. It was both owed a debt they could not pay. One of them just had a greater realization. Do you and I really grasp that the sin, sure, I grew up in honors classes, I played sports, I didn't really do drugs or anything like that in high school, all that kind of stuff. I didn't get into that scene, maybe experiment a little bit, but I didn't get into it. I was a good kid. Went to church. But it wasn't until I realized that, that my sin, based on what Scripture said, required that, that I understood what it mean, meant to be forgiven much. The, for, the forgiven much is that Jesus went to the cross for you. That's the forgiven much. That's the debt. And so today, I just wanted to give us some time. I put in your notes as a question. When was the last time you were overwhelmed by God's grace for you? When was the last time? I'm not talking the last time you served. I'm not talking the last time you gave. When was the last time you actually got away and sat quietly and said, Oh my gosh, Lord Jesus, I am one of the much forgiven, aren't I? Because you had to go to the cross for me. I'm one of the much forgiven. That's the starting point. That's the starting point. But I know in our in our do 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 culture, it's hard to stay there. It can be it can be overwhelming. But I encourage you stay there. Sit there until you are overwhelmed by the grace and love of Jesus Christ. For you. For you. He who is forgiven much loves much. Loves much. It's from the inside out. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, Lord Jesus, we, we don't know what happened after this episode with the woman who had been forgiven. But we do know that at this moment, she was loving you much because she had been forgiven much. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. Jesus Christ. The Bible says in John 3, if we don't believe, we're condemned already. We are all part of the much forgiven. If you've put your faith in Jesus... And if you've not this morning, you've never put your faith in Jesus as Savior, maybe to this, today you acknowledge, Lord, Lord, just like the woman in the story, I need forgiveness. I may have a reputation. I may have done, done things that I regret. I, I may have a, a, a laundry list of shoulda, wouldas, and couldas in my life. I may be carrying shame. I may be carrying guilt. I may be carrying embarrassment. Whatever it is, but Jesus, on this day, I come to You personally. It's not about religion. I come to You, Jesus, as my Savior. Please forgive. Thank You for going to the cross for my.
And if you're a believer this morning, and just the, the impact of God's overwhelming grace and love for you, if, if it's been a while, then just sit during this time of communion. Just sit, hold the cups, tangible symbols that you are much forgiven. And maybe this day you'll come back to the heart of following Jesus, which is just loving Jesus because he loved you first. So we're going to distribute the communion cups and just have time of quiet reflection and prayer as a group of much forgiven. Lord Jesus, as we hold these cups in our hands, we are reminded of your incredible love. We're reminded of your grace. We're reminded of the debt that needed to be paid for our sins. And then we're reminded of who we are in Christ. That we are forgiven. We are new creations. We are part of the body of Christ. You are pleased with us. Positionally. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We are your workmanship. All the glorious truth that we embrace because we put our faith in you, Jesus. And so we thank you for this time this morning. We thank you, Lord, that in following you, it's simply loving you. And simply loving you because we have been forgiven. So we take this communion in remembrance of you, Jesus.